Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of administering heavenly justice. God told Israel, I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies. Therefore, turn and live, Ezekiel 18.32. God doesn't take pleasure in your perishing. He's pleading with you. Come, let's reason together. For your sins be red as crimson. I'll make them white as snow. Come. For God says, why? Why would you perish? Come, let's reason together. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. A good trial movie portrays a lawyer piece together the facts of a case and achieve a conviction while watching the guilty carted off to prison to pay for their crime. But it's not often in real life or otherwise you see someone come forward to take the place of the condemned for their punishment. Well, as Pastor Xavier continues Isaiah's vision of a heavenly courtroom drama, we will see just that. It's in this vision we see just what the Lamb of God has done for the sin of all mankind as a matter of fact. Let's listen. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 20. Isaiah the prophet is going to let us see and hear the courtroom session in heaven. As God presents his indictment, calls his witnesses, and presents the evidence through the vision he receives. The courtroom scene that exposes the guilt of God's people is marked by a threefold movement, and it's found in these first 20 verses. Now notice the charges that God brings forth are those against the love of a father. In verse 2, he says, He nourished and he brought up children, and they rebel and transgress against him. Though he provided for them, cared for them, protected them, all the way to adult age, they rebelled and apostatized and dishonored him. There's nothing more of a heartache for a parent than this to happen. Their conduct was unnatural, and that caused the emotional hurt and separation between the two. Notice verse 4, the particular sins of the nation, the people laden with iniquity, brood of evildoers. They carried on their persons a heavy load of sin. So he compares them, these beasts, the burden, the ox, the donkey, you're like them, but you carry big loads of sin. Here you're in your little thing and that, and still you still come and ask me. God, show me your will. Seed of evildoers, literally sperm of perversity. Then he calls them children who are corrupt. They have forsaken the Lord, corrupt doers and corrupters of others, literally. They treated God with contempt and estrangement. Have you ever seen a son or a daughter treat a parent with disrespect and dishonor, almost like a stranger? It's horrible. These were the people of God. Notice verse 9, the mercy of God over the nation. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant... We would have become like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. The Lord of hosts. It's a favorite verse in Isaiah and throughout the Old Testament. The Lord of hosts. Read uh, Amos. He calls the people of the north. Turn, turn. I did this. You didn't repent. I did this. You didn't repent. I I held rain. You didn't repent. I, I, I rained over here. You went and got water. Now prepare to meet your God, the Lord of hosts. Whoa, what a scary thought. This phrase appears often in Isaiah. And all that God is talking about is according to what he laid in the law. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, you might read later on. It speaks about the blessings and cursings. If you do this, I'll bless you. If you do this, I'll get you. Listen, God can't lie. He gives us the provision. 
I said before you, life and death, choose you this day. Which is it going to be? Mercy is less than we deserve. This was mercy. They deserve to be destroyed. God was merciful. Justice is what we deserve. Anybody here for justice from God? I want mercy. This was the indictment of their guilt that has been presented. He moves to the argument to prove their guilt as any good trial lawyer. Verse 10 through 15. The argument begins by addressing the guilty. Notice he calls the rulers to hear the word of the Lord. The rulers, literally the judges, were the ones held more responsible for the rebellion against God. Why? Because they had the law. They were to set the standard. They were to bring the consequence. They were to hold the standard high. God helped the leader, the preacher, the teacher who compromises with God's word. To those that much is given, much is required. The rulers are addressed as you, rulers of Sodom, those who hate and oppose God, both in word and in deed. He calls the people to hear the word of the Lord also. The people are accountable to God ultimately, not to the leaders, though they are accountable to the leaders. The people can't justify themselves. They have an individual responsibility. The people are addressed as you, people of Gomorrah. There's the completion. You were partners with the leaders by choice. No one is forced to sin. You're tempted, but you make the choice to yield or not. I make that choice. No one forces me to sin. He gets the leaders, the people. All are guilty. And notice, secondly, the argument moves from to reveal the futility of their worship. And it is fourfold in verse 11 through 12. First, God asks the intent of their sacrifice. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice to me, says the Lord? Sacrifice were for the purpose of atoning for sin in a person's life. It's evident these people are living in sin. Sacrifice were in view of turning from one sin to obedience, not like the pagan gods who needed to be appeased. God doesn't need to be appeased. God doesn't get turned on by sacrifice. He gets turned on what the sacrifice does. It helps the sinner. Remember 1 Samuel 15, 22, when Saul had disobeyed God, Samuel says, it's better to obey than to sacrifice and to hearken to the fatter rams. For rebellion is as a sin, listen, of witchcraft. That's a heavy scripture. When God's people disobey, they're paying heed to the spirit of Satan, not to the spirit of God. You understand what I'm saying? There's only two gods in this world. One's a real God. The other one's an imposter. Who are you obeying? Who are you following? Notice God describes his disgust with the sacrifice. Verse 11. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fed cattle. Their burnt offerings were not offered in truthful dedication and consecration to God. A burnt offering was for dedication and consecration. Lord, all of me, take me. I'm dedicated to you. They were hypocrites. They were insincere. The rams offered, neither gave their, forgave their sin. Useless. Their fat of cattle, which represented the best, also did not give them favor before God. See, sometimes we think, well, I'll make it up. I'll do this. Listen, you can't make anything up. What you've blown, you've blown. Confess it. Get rid of it. You can't make nothing up. There's no payback with God. You'd be in the hole tr trillion, trillion billion years. <laughs> and so would I. 
You see that we're observing the letter of the law, but disobeying the spirit of the law. Isn't that what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? You have heard that it has been said, but I say to you. They say, oh, you have heard that it has been said. If a, woman commits a, if a man commits adultery, you know, he'll be stoned. But I say to you, if you look to a woman with lust, you commit adultery already. Why? It's the intent of the law. It's the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law condemns me. Paul said, I had not known sin except by the law. said, thou shalt not covet. That's a heart condition, not an act. It begins in the heart. So we have to be careful. Well, I never did this, but in heart. Mm-mm-mm. So we cannot boast of our own righteousness. It's not sufficient. It's not enough. Notice God declares in verse 11 still his displeasure with their sacrifice. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. The implication is obvious. Sacrifice were not for the mere pleasure of bringing death to the animal or that God wanted some barbecue meat. God's not like Christian. Oh, food, yeah, food, food. We're always eating. <laughs> the purpose of the blood was what? For the atoning of sins. Remember Genesis 3.20? 3.21? God killed a little animal, covered the sins of Adam and Eve, and clothed them. Leviticus 17.11? The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you for an atonement for sin on the altar. Verse 12, God asks a second question. When you come to appear before me, literally, to see my face. Can you imagine the nerve? Who has required this from your hand to trample my course? The idea being a form of desecration. It was to add insult to injury. They were going through the motions but lost the personal emotions. And this takes place every Sunday all over the nation, all over the world. There's no fear of God. There's indifference. Notice thirdly, verses 13 and 14, the argument progresses to a judgment against their feudal ritual and ceremony in their feasts. Verse 13, God tells them not to bring worthless sacrifice or incense that is an abomination to him. God includes the new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, declaring two reasons in verse 13. I cannot endure iniquity. He's a pure eyes. He can't endure or condone sin. And I cannot endure the sacred meeting. Why? This is a contradiction. They're sinful. How can they have a sacred meeting? It's a meeting of sin, a meeting of brashness. Today we live in a society where everybody flaunts their perversity, trash TV, and we boast about it. We're an immoral nation. We have lost any consciousness of right or wrong. And so as long as a woman's earning a living and she's working, whether it be she's a prostitute or an exotic dancer, at least she's providing for herself. That's where we are today. An immoral nation. We have lost the ability to discern right from wrong, and we've painted everything indifferent. Tolerance. Self-worth. Verse 14, God declares his feelings about the sacrifice and feast. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. God had given these feasts, and he lists them in Leviticus 23, one of the areas, for a remembrance of what God had done as events that would be fulfilled prophetically in the future. 
And they begin to do ritual ceremonies. Some of you now come here on Sunday, and it's just your ceremony. It's every Sunday. Oh, yes, and you feel good about the message, but you're not doing anything about it, man. And you're allowing things to creep into your life. They're going to kill you. They're going to destroy you. They take life from you. And you're going through the ritual. Notice fourthly here, verse 15. The argument ends in a verdict. God's verdict was, when you spread your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. People often say, well, I pray to God. What God are you talking about? You're living with your girlfriend. You've got two kids from three different women. And you're telling me you're praying to God? And you're continuing that lifestyle? There's an inconsistency here. God hides his face from you as he would for me if I was in the same condition. Their prayers were in vain due to sin regardless of their multitude of prayers. The reason being Jehovah is the Holy One of Israel. He's not like you. He's not like me. Thank God. Now notice God's verdict was based on the preceding evidence presented. Your hands are full of blood. Their hands had taken life. Their bloody hands were evidence accusing them. Lifting up their hands, demonstrating the evidence like the little kid who's eating some of mom's donuts without knowing it. And she walks in and says, you eat donuts? And he's got it all over the uh-uh. That's man before God. When God opens the book of life and the other books at the white throne judgment, no person will be falsely accused. All will be guilty, for they will be judged according to their works by the things written in the books, Revelation 20, verse 11, 13 says. No mistakes in that day. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, you're headed for the white throne judgment. You don't want to be there. All that was ever done will be recorded. The hypocrisy, the brash, shameless living, the arrogance to blame God for their sin and make God one with their sin. 1 John 1, 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about we're different. I'm not what I used to be. Thank God. But I'm also not what I'm going to be. I'm in process. Who may stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor swore deceitfully. Psalm 24, 3 through 4. Hmm. They have made a decision to continue to rebel. Please understand what I'm saying. This was the argument to prove their guilt. Notice he moves on to the arrangement to pardon their guilt. Verse 16 through 20. First, verse 16 and 17, the conditions of a plea bargain is stated, revealing that there was still hope and time the plea bargain is usually initiated by the defense lawyer. This one comes from the plaintiff, God. The very one who's accusing is asking for a plea bargain. The first set of conditions in verse 16 deal with the relationship to God. They had to wash themselves and make themselves clean. They were to put away evil of their doings from before their eyes. They were to cease to do evil. 
But this was impossible, and that's just the condition. The condition is presented in such a way that they might say, we can't do this. All right, now we can agree on something. In fact, Isaiah later on will tell us in 64.6, we were all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness is a filthy menstrual garment. We were all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. God wants to bring you to that place where you can't do it. The best you can produce is a dirty, filthy, smelly, menstrual garment. Can you handle that? Because that's what God says about your goodness and mine. He takes no other opinion. The second set of conditions dealt with the relationship to man. Notice God first again, right? Now man, verse 17. They were to learn to do good. They were to seek justice. They were to rebuke the, the oppressor. They were to defend the fatherless. They were to plead for the widow. These were the top priorities of God in the law. The prophets were crying out. Hosea 2.4, Amos 2.6-8, Micah 6.9-12, over and over again. The purpose of stating this condition is threefold. Let me give them to you. First, to remind the people of God that the standards of God, listen, had not changed. The standards of God still have not changed for today. The world has changed, but God's standards have not changed. Secondly, to hopefully bring them to a state of conviction. If you're not walking with God, God wants to bring you to a state of conviction this morning. You're under the wrath of God. You are his enemy. You are in rebellion. But he wants to make you a son, his daughter, his friend. Thirdly, to make them see that without God, they could not do it. God wants to bring you to the end of yourself. And notice secondly, the means to fulfill the plea, this plea bargain, is offered, revealing the mercy and the love of God in verses 18 through 20. Verse 18, the invitation is given by God himself. Come, come now, and let us reason together, says the Lord. The phrase reason together is a legal terminology that is part of a court scene. Literally, listen, let us cease the argument. Let us do something about it. This is God, the one who has the right to judge and condemn. He's pleading. God initiates the consideration here, yet man is the one in rebellion. Nothing's changed, has it? God's promise, though your sins are like scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be as wool. The result would be the removal of their sin, the purity, white as snow and as wool. In fact, Psalm 51, 7 says, whiter than snow. Why? Because every white snowflake has a dirty heart. It's wrapped around a speck of dust. You may be a white little snowflake and say, look at me, I'm all white outside. But God says, eh, you got a dirty heart, man. Very important. Whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. The individual choice will be made by each person. Verse 19 and 20. Notice verse 19. Those who are willing to repent are dressed first. If you are willing and obedient, you shall lead the good of the land. That's a promise. Verse 19. As their sins are forgiven, they're never mentioned again. Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as east as the west, 
Micah 7.19, in the deepest ocean bearing. That's a promise. Then those who are unwilling to repent are addressed, secondly. But if you refuse to rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken, in verse 20. Isaiah finishes his book with the very affirmation of this, that those who reject will perish in Gehenna, the lake of fire. Read chapter 66, verse 22 through 24. The context is after the millennial reign, after the white throne judgment, when God is going to create the new heaven, the new earth. This first chapter that we're covering is the prologue and it sets the scene for the entire book. This is God. He should take vengeance on us. He sets the feast before us that he might persuade us that he loves us, that he takes no delight in judgment. The evidence that there is still hope for you is that God continues to deal with your heart, pointing out your sin to call you to conviction. This is his whole purpose for you, to bring you to repentance, evident of a broken and contrite heart that God will not despise, Psalm 51, 17. That's what he's looking for. To bring you to that new birth, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again or you will never see the kingdom of God in John 3, 3 through 5. Necessary. You see, the conditions for salvation are stipulated very clear by God in the scriptures. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father but by him, John 14, 6. Jesus is the only name under heaven and earth whereby we must be saved in Acts 4, 12. Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, Hebrews 10, 12. So he's the only sacrifice that is accepted. You see, the conscious decision of each person before their death will determine where they will spend all of eternity. This decision cannot be made after you die. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever has not the Son has not life, and the wrath of God abides in him, John 3, 36 says. It's a valid part of the gospel. Understand it. God told Israel, I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live, Ezekiel 18, 32. God doesn't take pleasure in your perishing. He's pleading with you. Come, let's reason together. Though your sins be red as crimson, I'll make them white as snow. Come. The token is the blood of the Lamb. To the church of Sardis, Jesus said, You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed with a white garment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation 3, 4 through 5. He begins with the invitation here, and he culminates in Isaiah 53 with the Lamb slain for you, for me. This was the arrangement to pardon their guilt. The courtroom scene in heaven has exposed the guilt of God's people. I hope you don't see yourself apart from these people. The indictment of their guilt was presented. The argument to prove their guilt could not be disputed. And the arrangement to remove their guilt was up to them to decide on. This is your decision also. We pray you make the right one. For God says, why? Why would you perish? Come, let's reason together.
Pastor Xavier Reese, wrapping up for today by illustrating how God rests his case, not with guilty indignation, but a graceful means of pardon for sin. And if you'd like your own copy of today's message in its unedited form for additional personal study, you'll want to ask for the title, Heavenly Justice, A Love Trial. It's available on CD for just $4. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Heavenly Justice, A Love Trial, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is another tool we use to track the impact of this outreach in your area. You've heard it said that history repeats itself. Well, next time, Pastor Xavier Reese explains how natural judgment often is the result of a divine judgment. More important, simple truths from the book of Isaiah. Hope you'll be back. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com